Welcome to Art Techo. I'm your host, Sean Porio. And I'm your host, Nick Royal. And on this episode, our second episode, we're here with Mark Kleback. Hey, guys. So, Mark, for those who are not familiar with you, how would you describe what it is that you do? Uh, so, at this point, I am an adjunct professor at NYU. I teach at uh, Steinhardt. I teach music technology. I also teach a class at ITP. Uh, it's called uh, The New Arcade which we're building new arcade interfaces. Um, and then I run a bar uh, slash arcade in Bushwick called Wonderville, and it's filled with 20 custom arcade cabinets built by local game developers. Nice. Awesome. You described to us that there's a lot of, like, um, this, like, budding kind of scene going on of, you know, these new arcade cabinets. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, how you got into that? Yeah, so uh, this all started... Back in, I want to say, like, 2011, I was living at Death by Audio, which is a defunct uh, DIY warehouse venue. And um, there was a wood shop and, like, a screen printing studio and a bunch of... So it was, like, a huge space, and a lot of people lived there. And I had this crazy idea that I wanted to build an arcade cabinet. Um, Didn't know anything about it. Built a box, put a computer in it. Uh, and then I just put a bunch of old arcades on it, like Ninja Turtles and Avengers and stuff like that. And Death by Audio had a music venue, so I just wheeled it over into the venue, and we had <laughs> an arcade cabinet. Sweet. Um, and that was cool. And then a couple months later, I met the guys who ran Baby Castles, and that was like a local New York-based like arts organization, mm. uh, and they do a lot of crazy game-related installations. Uh, and they were like, hey, can we make this into uh, an indie game and I was like sure that sounds more <laughs> yeah. fun uh, and through them I started meeting like other people in New York who made weird indie games um, and then people were like I want to build a cabinet for my game and then that sort of spiraled from there. I mean it definitely seems like New York would be the place that there's a sizable enough group of indie game developers to like be marketing your cabinet and building towards them. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I, I credit the NYU Game Center a lot because like yeah. that was just a gold mine of of people making weird games that you know, it's kind of like they sh- they would show them at a student show and then it's maybe they live online or in their portfolio and then like some there was some really good stuff that I was like this should live in an arcade cabinet and people should play it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you had um, described to us a little bit that, you know, you sort of have your background like in um, electrical engineering. Do you think like building something like arcade cabinets is something that was was always something that you were interested in? Or did you sort of discover that after you were educated or sort of want to describe that process at all? Yeah, so I, I went to school uh, from 2004 to 2008 at Penn State and I studied electrical engineering and music technology, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was amazing. And um but I didn't really want to like work for a company like Microsoft or Intel or something. I wanted to like yeah. go to New York and see what was going on. Uh, so didn't have a job. Came here. It was 2008. The housing crisis oh. had just happened. Yeah, you picked a bad time. It was to terrible move, to move to New York with no job. Uh, so my friend and I worked in a bike shop for a little bit, and I sort of did a couple live sound gigs here and there, and did a little bit of freelancing. 
uh, and eventually just randomly met someone involved with Death by Audio. Mm -hmm. And I knew tangentially about them because of the guitar pedals. Yeah, that's yeah. what they're mainly known for. That's how we know them. Yeah. And that's, you know, the branch of Death by Audio that's still operational today mm -hmm. is still the guitar pedals. Um, so, you know, they had an open room at the time that I needed an apartment. And so I was like, hey, like, can I move in here? There were like 10 <laughs> people living in this warehouse. Mm -hmm. Um... And it was like a it was a crazy time and because it was a warehouse and there was no like really landlord who like cared what was going on mm -hmm. people were just building stuff there was like everybody built their own rooms <laughs> they wow. they built like a practice space out of like cinder block and masonry um the guitar pedals were manufactured in this like other room off to the side and then at any point, someone's like, I'm going to shoot a music video or I'm mm. going to like make this giant yeah. art sculpture. And it was sort of like, do what you want as long as you're respectful of everyone. As long yeah. as you don't violate some OSHA <laughs> law or something. <laughs> I mean, even then, you know, <laughs> nobody knows? found out about it. <laughs> I mean, there were rules that were laid out by the people who ran it, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, um, but... The, like it was like you couldn't just stay there without paying rent and mm. like there was there yeah. were rules like we need to survive here So not not total anarchy. Yeah, okay, but also totally. you know like um, I Wanted to move a wall and so we knocked down a wall and just built <laughs> and then I like ran an extension cord through drywall and Cut the end and soldered it to an outlet and it was just like that kind of madness where it was just like yeah I can google like how to run HVAC. How hard could this be? <laughs> It's just wow. air in a hollow square that goes through the wall, like yeah. As long as you push it out of the building, you're fine. You're you're cool. Just, just knock a hole, the sledgehammer. Wires like, are wires. Air is air. As long as the fumes go outside, not inside. Exactly. <laughs> wow. So I guess being in this kind of collaborative open space, like what kind of projects were coming out of that? Like what what kind of do you have any main things that you worked on while you were in that? space most people who live there were musicians mm -hmm. and so the two bands that kind of started death by audio were a place to bury strangers and dirty on purpose and they got that space originally so they had a place to practice yeah so mm -hmm. like they built the practice space before they built bedrooms because yeah. <laughs> you need a practice space first mm -hmm. it's priority one really um but then you know some of the guys were fabricators on the side. So there was one guy who was just making these gigantic canvases and he was making art by like punching holes out of bank envelopes that were patterned. It was oh, like this okay. <laughs> super meticulous and tedious Ooh. project, but the the results were beautiful. Like it yeah. would take him months, but he would just like glue one hole punch at a time <laughs> on wow. a canvas. Did um, you find those like online or like pictures of that anywhere? I think so. Yeah, it's George Wilson. Um, okay. Although I don't know what his internet presence is like, mm. uh, but his work was beautiful. Um, but a lot of people were musicians. There were a lot of music videos shot there. Um, you know, recording often took precedence over anything. Like I remember, I was gonna go use the oven one night, and I opened it, and there was just an amp in there. <laughs> and somebody's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, man. I've just got to like my guitar sounds really good inside the oven." <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, no worries. I want those like metal reflections like from inside? Yeah, yeah. it's a spring reverb, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it, it heats up the tubes like way faster. It's, oh, it's really efficient. It's all about the tube warmth. <laughs> I just needed some more warmth from the oven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, so, that's super cool. 
you yourself have been involved in some like installation art. Can you tell us about that side of your craft a little bit? Yeah. Um, after Death by Audio, uh, you know, having a, a fabrication space was like mm -hmm. super important because, you know, just being able to make things, um, you know, was what I needed to do. So I moved into um, 67 West Street, which is in Greenpoint. Big industrial building with like seven floors of studios. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was after I did my grad school program at ITP, which was mm -hmm. uh, 2011 to 2013. Okay. So um, after that, I other people from ITP had space in this place. And they were like, hey, we have like a miter saw and like a laser cutter and a couple of these things. Um, so I started renting a desk there and they were all creative technologists, coders, um, you know, hardware people, mm -hmm. uh, and projects would, you know, come through, uh, that space. It was called Floating Point. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. It's still called Floating Point. I still rent there. It still exists. Oh, nice. Sweet. So a little um, bit more by the books this time. Yeah. I mean, still legal, but also, like, we need to put a laser cutter in this building. Let's just not tell <laughs> the landlords because we don't know what the rules are. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but still the kind of free, creative vibe. Yeah. Okay. It's a little bit like, I don't know, you can't sleep there, but yeah. uh, you mm -hmm. can, you know, screw things to the walls and the ceiling. Like, mm -hmm. stuff that is important when you're making yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, I work a lot with another person uh, named Jack Kalish, who, mm -hmm. uh, who does a lot of the programming, and we started getting like a large-scale LED projects. Mm -hmm. um, so when Moogfest happened, he was like, "Hey, you you know hardware? Like, do you want to work on this?" And they wanted an installation in the center of the town, mm -hmm. uh, like an LED pyramid that would react to touch. Oh yeah. Um, so we we got um, basically. A lot of strips of uh, NeoPixel LEDs, yeah, like, like yeah. the Adafruit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although we bought them from China, so they were WS twenty eight twelves. It's like knockoff. They're knockoff ones. Yeah. Hey, don't buy them from China. Like if I didn't do that project again, <laughs> I would have got them all from Adafruit. Yeah, because they're local, right? Adafruit. Adafruit's local, but also the quality is way better. Yeah, and it doesn't take yeah, like months to come across the Pacific. Yeah, yeah. Um, Was so it just like LEDs dying left and right, or? Imagine it's in the middle of town and it's a touch reactive thing. Mm -hmm. So 36 rods of LEDs, they were all in acrylic tubes mm -hmm. and the center of each tube was an aluminum coupler that was wired up to do capacitive touch. Mm -hmm. um, and then Jack built the software and open frameworks where if you touched a rod, it would start an animation from that rod that would like go around the whole pyramid. Mm. And the idea was to put it at Mag uh, Moogfest for three days and then move it to uh, this corporate office. Okay. And like we were at Moogfest and just kids are climbing on <laughs> it and like just like <laughs> shaking it to pieces. And so by the time we moved it, we had to almost replace every strip of LEDs that, oh, were, that were there. Wow. And then, uh, in addition to Moogfest, um, this is probably going to be confusing for viewers that mm -hmm. don't know what either of these things are, but there's also MAGFest. Oh, God. I which... almost said MAGFest by mistake. <laughs> yeah. um, so you've been going with Death by Audio Arcade, bringing your stuff there as well, right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, MAGFest, the music and gaming festival, mm -hmm. happens in National Harbor, Maryland, right after New Year's Day. Uh, and it's been going on for like 12 years. It's it's a yeah. huge, huge festival. There's like, you know, 30,000 people that go down there. Mm -hmm. um, so MAGFest has a policy where if you have an arcade cabinet, you can bring it and get a free 
pass to get into MAGFest. So we were like, hey, we have five arcade cabinets. <laughs> um, and so it's this festival of music and gaming in a, this huge convention center uh, called the Gaylord National Convention Center. It's mm -hmm. the same place where they have, like, CPAC. It's a gigantic yeah. place. Mm -hmm. So, Sean, you've actually worked at MAGFest for, like, the past few years, right? Yeah. And it was kind of funny, too, because I had played some of the Death by Audio games. I guess it would have been the first year that the Death by Audio games were there. I think I played one called um, Nothing Good Can Come of This. Oh, yeah. Which <laughs> is this game. It's like a two-player 1v1 game where there's just two little icon guys that are in black and white. And then in the middle, like, a gun with one bullet drops down. And you have to sort of fight over it to try to shoot the other mm. person. It's very, like, minimal. There's literally, like... A joystick and two buttons mm -hmm. for each character but one thing that uh i think is really cool with you know sort of this resurgence of like making um these old old-fashioned games or putting things in uh in video game cartridge or uh video game cabinets is sort of this re-emergence of like cooperative play and you know having the energy of being in the room mm. playing with someone oh yeah and i think that was very much the core of what we wanted to do at Death by Audio Arcade. It was yeah. like, you know, you can go online and play, you know, any game you want in your room by yourself. But, you know, the feeling like when I was growing up of like being at a roller rink with all my friends and like playing games together yeah. um, was sort of what we were trying to recreate. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, the barcades and all of the other new spaces are also trying to do that. But... Like th a lot of these places like use nostalgia a lot and like old style games and we're yeah. sort of like We can do this with new games that are coming out now. Yeah So would you say that like your cabinets like do you treat it more as like? Just like an accompaniment to the game or is there something to be said about having a game like translated into kind of like physical medium? I think it exists differently as an arcade cabinet mm -hmm. Like, okay, nothing good can come of this is a very good example. Like, he released that game on Steam, which is the online mm -hmm. game marketplace. Nobody really bought it because it's a 30-second game, right? And you have to play it with a person, like, in the moment. Mm -hmm. So as an arcade, it's extremely successful. Like, people at MAGFest, like, line up to play it. <laughs> but, you know, online, it's like, I don't know, unless you have another person with you and maybe you have, like, a joystick because I don't know if you can, if it works on game pads, it's just a different kind of thing. Yeah, it's not really a game you're playing at home on the couch. Yeah. yeah. Do, no. you, do you find that, or when you're working with people who are like making these games, is it still something where it's a game that's being made for computer that's adapted to arcade, or is there a lot of people now doing things that are like, I want to go straight to arcade or program it specifically to be in an arcade cabinet? There's a few people who think about the arcade. Mm -hmm. um, when we're building games, we tend to find existing games that are done because then it's like all we have to do is build the box for it, yeah. you know, and the game is done. <laughs> um, but there's one developer who we work with a lot named Nick Santanello, and uh, the first game we built with him was called Powerboat Italia 88. And uh, we built that in 2014, and he wanted to have a game like Track and Field where you would alternate pressing buttons as fast as you can. Oh, kind of like a oh, yeah. co-op? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so he made this game that you actually couldn't play like on a computer because mm -hmm. it's like you need four people, and each person has two keyboard keys, <laughs> yeah, and then there was like a jump and a uh, move, and it was just like 
that had to be an arcade game. Mm-hmm. Um, and people like are like, oh, like how can I get power boats? And they're like, you could buy an arcade cabinet. <laughs> you know, like this is how it exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the best example of this is Killer Queen, um, yeah. the ten-player uh, game. That's they've they've sold about two hundred of them across the country. It's a, a two hundred cabinets. Cabinets. Oh wow! Um, and they're they're two cabinets each, so mm. it's a gigantic thing. Do you want to describe that for people who might not be familiar with with that game? Yeah. So Killer Queen. Uh, I don't know when it was developed. Somewhere around 2010, 2011, mm-hmm. But it's five on five. Um, and each team has a queen and four drones, and there are three objects to winning the game. Uh, one is you can kill the opponent's queen three times. Uh, the second way is you can collect berries and bring them back to your goal. Mm-hmm. And the third way is you can ride a snail. There's only one snail <laughs> really slowly across the bottom of the screen. Wow. Um, and there's a lot more that goes into it, but it... It, there's so much strategy that teams have formed and there's annual tournaments and people fly across the country to mm-hmm. play Killer Queen. It's become this crazy phenomenon, but you have to play it at the cabinet. Like there's no yeah. way to do it any mm-hmm. other way. So you have to find a Killer Queen cabinet like close to you and <laughs> go there to play against other people. It's like, mm. a, it's like a sport basically right? in that way. Um, and it feels very much like modern kickball or something where it's mm-hmm. like there's leagues and people sign up and they all make jerseys, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and play Killer Queen. It's a crazy thing. That's one thing I really appreciate about like the arcade cabinet medium. I think with like console games, like, of course, you can get like a, a bigger like depth of detail in your story or the graphics are better. But like it seems so bogged down in like. Wait, how do I do this one little activity again? Like, what are the controls? Like, when you strip it down just to, like, a joystick, two, maybe four buttons, you're, like, limiting the control the player has over the game. You're limiting, like, their input into the game. It's just simple instructions. But then it's, like, the strategy, the art style. You can really, like, dive more into that. Oh, yeah. There's so many aspects to it, too. And it's sort of, like, I I think there's so many ways to get involved with, like, arcade making because there's woodworking mm-hmm. there's like graphic design there's game design there's electronics there's sound there's like so many things that go into like one installation mm-hmm. it kind of takes a village yeah so when you go about i guess how would you like step by step what's the process look like for making one of these cabinets okay i'm going to take you through a game called kung fu kickball mm-hmm. uh it was a game that we first played at magfest actually and um we in 2018 we had like a call for submissions for local games and it was one of them and then we internally knew that we were going to build a cabinet for one of these games Mm -hmm. so we had this like curation process we were like we're going to look for a new game for our collection but we're sort of going to vet games by like what people like and we'll have a couple shows kung fu kickballs two versus two you're a ninja you can punch and kick and there's a kickball and each <laughs> opponent has a goal, and the goal is to, like, kick the kickball into the, the goal. So, right. like, ninjas and pong. Yep. Okay. <laughs> but the ball, like, is a bouncy kickball, so it, like, flies all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a super fun game. Um, so we approached uh, the developer, Jonah Wallerstein, about it, super into it. The thing about uh, putting a game into an arcade is, like, you, the game developer has to make some changes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 
it has to first of all work with the joysticks and buttons and like when you're not playing the game it needs to go back to the menu it needs to like maybe have like an, a cutscene to show you what the game's about oh i used to watch those yeah, all yeah. the time as a kid just like sitting in the cl- in, in like the back of a McDonald's, like, oh wow, this would be really cool if my mom would let me play this game. <laughs> you see the Wolverine running around with the little insert insert coin thing blinking at the bottom. You see oh, like yeah. like all these like levels of the Terminator, like some arcade. It's like, well, that looks like a lot of fun. Where are my quarters at? My favorite is like the say no to drugs emblem. Yeah, I forgot like, they had those. Yeah, on every game, it was crazy. They had like an FBI warning too, or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, what a world. Um, <laughs> But so, it has to advertise itself in a way. Yeah, exactly. And it's for kids. So, Oh. Uh, do, you, do you find that that's an issue you run into a lot? That people kind of look at gaming or arcades and say, like, that's a kid thing. Or, like, you're making, like, toys. Like, what do you think about that? I haven't heard that much lately. I mean, because Barcade is super successful mm-hmm. and every major city has, like, a bar arcade. I think when we were kids, maybe that was a thing because adults didn't play video games. Mm-hmm. But adults play video games now. And yeah. so I think it's, like, that era is over. Yeah. Do you um, find people that are still kind of making arcade games with that sense of like you know appealing to uh, to kids now, or do you think it's sort of more of a mature? Like, is it thing? marketing towards like nostalgic millennials or like people who grew up with this arcade scene? It depends on the developer. I think there's a lot of developers who will be like, I really loved Pac-Man. My game is Pac-Man with different characters, right? Mm. And then it's like. I don't think that's really exciting. Like maybe, you know, that if that's what makes them happy, like cool. Um, but I'm really interested in games that sort of like push the boundaries of what has been done already. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? Like designing for kids and designing for adults is like the same to me, right? Yeah. You need a game where you can walk up to it and immediately understand what you're doing. Uh, and so I, I feel that any game where there's like instructions everywhere mm-hmm. is already bad. Like, yeah. it should, you should be able to walk up. Everybody knows what joystick and buttons do. You should just be able to like tap start and just figure it out, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so the best games are those. Yeah. Um, like modern games always have like a two hour long tutorial level. There's always like <laughs> a tree you need to crouch under to teach you, like, it's right trigger to crouch. Sure. If you're playing, like, a 100-hour RPG, fine. You know, mm-hmm. like, go through a tutorial. But, like, people are coming up to arcades, and they're like, we have a one-minute experience, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. you can't have a tutorial. Like, yeah. you got to just, like, get them into the game as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. So we kind of sidetracked you there. So you're working with Kung Fu Kickball, so you reached out to them, actually. Yeah, and so we didn't do any work on the game itself. Like, Jonah modified the game to work with what we were doing. Um the next thing we do typically is design the cabinet. And we were going more traditional for Kung Fu Kickball. So mm-hmm. we um, like pretty much modeled an old style cabinet, four players. So uh, the front piece was like a bolt-on console. Mm-hmm. Um, a big thing for us is how do we fit the arcade cabinets through doors? Oh, true. <laughs> so uh, big thing is like, well, it can't be wider than this. And if there's more players then this piece, that's the console, needs to bolt on and off so that if we ever need to move it or take it to MAGFest, we can unscrew this and take it off and then like move it through mm-hmm. the doorway. Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, you said you, descri- uh, you described it as like a sort of conventional arcade cabinet, you know, with the board in the front and the screen and the little overhang title thing. What would be an example of an unconventional cabinet? The one we made this year at MAGFest was called Sententable, 
Uh, the game was designed by Amanda Hudgens based out of Lexington, Kentucky. And her game is a fighting game with 100 buttons. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. 50 per player. And, so kind of um, the opposite of what we were just talking about. Like, oh, yeah. Str- like you, I think there's a little bit of a learning curve now. For sure. Now the buttons are all randomized every turn, so you can't learn how mm. to fight. You're just <laughs> mashing on the board, which is like part of the fun, right? You're yeah. just like, what does this do? Um, but we wanted to build a cabinet that was more portable. Um, so every time we wanted to go to a demo or a speech, we didn't have to rent a U-Haul. We could just like <laughs> put it in an Uber. Mm-hmm. So Sententable, uh, the hundred buttons are laid out on a table with cup holders. The screen is in the lid <laughs> with cup holders. I, I do like cup holders. Everything, everything has cup holders. When I guess you own, if you're if you're catering towards like the barcade market, that's a big selling point. When you own a bar, everything <laughs> must have cup holders. Mm-hmm. Uh, the screen and the speakers were in another box that was hinged so it could open and close and, oh, okay. and then the legs folded uh, underneath mm-hmm. so you could basically close the lid fold up the legs and it became this like you know, a suitcase cabinet yeah so anyway uh kung fu kickball yeah with the traditional <laughs> yes. style marquee console like you know upright mm-hmm. arcade um once we had the designs then I actually collaborated with uh, this guy Kyle uh, Magox from Pittsburgh on this. Uh, so he did the body and I did the console. And the body was just two pieces of plywood that he cut out with a jigsaw. Um, and basically, if you think about an arcade cabinet, you have the two sides. Mm-hmm. And then every other piece is just in between the two sides. Mm-hmm. So you're basically framing the whole thing out. And you're building like a bottom and then a back and then like a shelf and Mm -hmm. just cutting pieces for the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you know anything about woodworking, it's just like a box with weird shaped sides. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And yeah, so I made the console, which is another big box. And mine also hinged up so that we could work on the electronics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So is the console just like what contains the game? Uh, only the controls, actually, the joysticks and buttons. Mm, okay. The game we were running on a computer, um, So there's, like, a MacBook Pro in there. Not that nice of a computer. Okay. Uh, we've been using Intel Nux, NUC, mm-hmm. as our computer. Uh, Gigabyte Bricks, which is the same kind of thing. It's, like, a little mini PC, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. 300 bucks or something. Okay. Um, some of our, our stuff has a Mac Mini, for no reason. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. You don't have to spend $1,000 on an arcade cabinet. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to use, like, a Raspberry Pi, um, but a lot of these games are built in this game engine called Unity, oh, and yeah. Yeah. you just can't build for Raspberry Pi at this point. So, uh, Windows it is. Mm-hmm. So, I guess... There's, like, a possibility that someone will come to play this game and get, like, the blue screen Windows death logo. <laughs> Hopefully not. Mm-hmm. Um, this uh, One of our collaborators, Andy Wallace, wrote a really good blog about how to set up a Windows machine for an installation. And it mm-hmm. involves, like, turning off all the updates, like, disconnecting it from the internet, like, killing every pop-up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it goes into, like, writing to, like, system files in the library and just like disabling Mm -hmm. all of this windows garbage (laughs) so it just like turns the computer into like an island exactly Mm. Um, because that's what you want you want it to like you want to plug this thing in and it boots the game Mm -hmm. you know and then like single function yeah and then i could be like 
to my bartenders at Wonderville, hey, oh, that game crashed, unplug it and plug it back in. <laughs> Done. Yeah, there you go. You know, the, the age-old adage of have you tried turning it on and off again? Like, I guess you have to like program that in. Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, a lot of these uh, computers have that built in. Like, mm-hmm. you can go into the BIOS, and there's an option called Restore After Power Failure, which essentially means if the computer gets power, it boots. Yeah. And that's it. Um, so we just do that to all the computers, and that way yeah. it's like you never have to press the power button. I could definitely see how, you know, having to do that, like, un-Windowsify every Windows computer would make mm-hmm. it. So you'd really, <laughs> really want to do it on, like, a Raspberry Pi or something that is you sort of do from the bottom up rather than trying to take everything away from it until it only does what you want it to do. Sure. Then I mean, like, you know, Microsoft's for consumer-grade stuff. Mm-hmm. It's surprising to me that there's not, like... A branch of the company where it's like maybe there's installation artists who like don't want antivirus software installed. <laughs> you know, it's like, can I please just have the computer and nothing else? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, tell us a bit, a little bit about your bar. What's it called again? Wonderville. Uh, so, basically, 2014, Death by Audio closed, but we had like six custom arcade machines, mm-hmm. and then we were like, uh, okay, what do we do with these? Um, and so we ended up working with a bunch of different venues across the city for five years, like Silent Barn housed them for a while, um, Secret Project Robot, Elsewhere, all these places where we were like, can we please put arcades there for like a month? <laughs> so you were like a traveling arcade service, yeah. basically. And like we had, my friend worked in an office and we would like put them in her office <laughs> and it was just like, it was a nightmare. I got really good at driving box trucks for a long time. <laughs> um so, you know, and and as the years went on, we kept building more cabinets. So, like, now it's 2018, and we have, like, 15 cabinets, and now it's, like, in, it went from, can we put three arcades in your space to, like, can we put ten arcades in your space? <laughs> yeah. And people, people were just, like, A little uh, bit less, like, wanting to accommodate that. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, my wife, Stephanie, and I knew the owners of Secret Project Robot from back uh, in the Death by Audio days. Like, mm-hmm. they were very close to us. And um, they had a bar on Broadway off the Kosciuszko stop in Bushwick. And um, they approached us and they said, you know, like, this location isn't working out. Would you be interested in, like, buying the business from us? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had been looking at real estate sort of casually because Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I don't have, like, $5 million to open a bar. Like, who can do this? Yeah. Yeah. but they were like, you can buy all of our inventory, all the machinery, you can hire our staff, and like we'll help you get off the ground. And we were like, well, we really That's... can't pass this up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, like, I want to stop moving arcade cabinets, please. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'd um, like to put them down somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So we put them down at the beginning of 2019 uh, in Secret Project Robot. And uh, at the beginning of the year, we just came back from MAGFest, and we started having a couple shows there just to see how it would work. Um, and then in March, we launched a Kickstarter campaign um, to open Wonderville, mm-hmm. um, which would house our collection plus, like, a Killer Queen cabinet plus a couple others from the community. Um, and we raised $100,000, which was wow. amazing um, for a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, but when it when you look at like the cost you need to open a bar, it's mm-hmm. like pennies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but it got us like really off the ground, and we wouldn't have been able to do it without the Kickstarter. 
Um, so we opened in May of 2019. Okay. Um, so you're coming up on your bar anniversary. Yeah. 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 <laughs> wow. Nice. Um, and oh man, it was a it was like a roller coaster of a year because, you know, we just went from the Kickstarter straight into like renovations, mm-hmm. painted all the walls, you know, uh, brought in all these cabinets and wired all this stuff up. Um, and then over the last year, you know, we like set up a live stream in the event space. Um, we've gotten like a lot of stuff figured out. We have way more of a menu now. Uh, we have rotating gallery spaces. So we, every month we have new games come in. Um, and yeah, we're just like working on our events and our, you know, games that we have in the space. So you're kind of fostering kind of the same creative space that you had like back in the death by audio house. Yeah, except now it's legal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have all the licenses. Nice. Uh, I can't run my own electricity, though, you know. Oh, yeah. They get really mad about that. <laughs> the <laughs> Department of Buildings. Like so, like, what's your current kind of roster of arcade games? So, I've already mentioned a couple of them. We have Killer Queen. We have mm-hmm. Nothing Good Can Come of This. We have Kung Fu Kickball. We have Sententable. We have Powerboat Italia 88. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this game called Particle Mace, which was one of our earliest games, four-player game. That has probably been to the most venues in New York. Mm. Um, and it's very, it's like a well-known staple of our collection, and people love that game. Um, we have another game called Volleygon, which is a two-versus-two volleyball game, but you play mm-hmm. as a shape. So your shape geometry depend, like determines how you're de- going to deflect the ball. Oh, interesting. Um, that's really fun. Uh, we have a game called Slam City Oracles by Jane Friedhoff, mm-hmm. which is a collaborative game about just smashing as much stuff on the screen as you can. To, so like, the anti-Katamari. Yeah. <laughs> There's another game called Vec 9, which was built by three engineers who were at Lockheed Martin at the time. Oh, wow. Uh, it's a vector screen, like asteroids. So oh, it's okay, not yeah, yeah. pixels. It's like, uh, it's like like a vector laser. laser. Like a CRT kind of scanning the shapes out. Yeah. And it's a one-player game. It's uh, you use an M1 tank controller oh, to geez. fly a Russian uh, Soviet ship during World War II, and you're attacking America. Um, <laughs> That's kind of the most Lockheed wow. Martin thing I could think of. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, tracks. It's really good, and it's um, it's like an engineering marvel. Like there's all of these like missile switches on it, and like mm-hmm. crazy lights, and a little cut screen that's like an ATM screen. Oh wow, um, it's really beautiful. <laughs> uh, and then we have a couple of games by, like, other local artists. Like, as we've kind of grown, we've found cabinets. It's like, oh, there's an arcade cabinet called, like, mm-hmm. Icarus Proud Bottoms Typing Party. We, like, found it <laughs> on a Facebook group. And I was like, this is in New York. Where is it? And the developers were like, oh, hey, like, it's in our living room. Do you want it? <laughs> so... You said you were, like, opening this up with your wife. Is, like, she sort of involved with this scene as well, or...? I through me, yes. Um, mm-hmm. Her background is in nonprofits. And so when we met, she was helping arts organizations become nonprofits. She's not a lawyer, but she like knows mm-hmm. the paperwork involved. Yeah. So she did Death by Audio's paperwork. She did Secret Project Robots. Like she's just helped people like file their nonprofit work. And so we met through there and then she worked she works for the city, right? She works for Department of Finance, mm-hmm. but she was previously in the Department of Consumer Affairs, which is like 
amazing. Mm-hmm. You, got, you got an in. Yeah. Oh my god. So we <laughs> opened and she was just like, here's the list of licenses we need. These are the ones that need to be on display. Mm-hmm. These are the ones we need to get. Like, this is what we need to do. <laughs> so she just knows everything about the bureaucracy of running a business in, in New York. That's honestly like being able to navigate bureaucracy is like a very highly in demand skill. Like that's so valuable. <laughs> uh, I, have a, I have a small anecdote about her skills. Like we uh, didn't have heat, and we found this out in September, so it's starting to get cold. And so you know, National Grid came and they looked and they were like, "Oh, your valve's frozen. We're gonna have to like dig up the sidewalk." And we were like, "Cool." And then October passes, and then November passes, Ooh, and then you really and we need were that like, heat. "Yo, what's up?" And <laughs> so. Uh, we weren't getting through, so she called the department of build, I don't know, whatever department is in charge of permitting <laughs> mm-hmm. for sidewalks, and she was like, where's this permit? They said they were going to do it, and like her friend like called the commissioner, and then National Grid was there the next day <laughs> drilling <laughs> up the sidewalk. Just going above wow. their heads to their superiors. Yeah, I'm just like, wow, if you know somebody, like, I mean, it's the theme of New York. If you know somebody, you can make yeah. stuff happen. If, yeah. you, if you can get construction done in new york effectively <laughs> that that's that's a godlike skill yeah i mean nyu has been trying to get that building down on houston street done for how long now <laughs> yeah i know a guy you can call so for someone who's like looking to try to get into this scene or someone that's you know maybe working on a little bit of game design something like that um what sort of uh, like technical knowledge and things do they try to look into in order to get these things up and running on like a, a game cabinet? I would start by like looking at MAME builds online. Um, it's a huge community and how like... Do you, how do you spell that? M-A-M-E. Okay. Uh, and if you just like Google image search, like everybody wants an arcade cabinet in their house that plays like every arcade game, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot of like man caves with like a gigantic glowing arcade with like every game imaginable. Like a oh, shrine yeah. to Mario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I, I think that's kind of lame, but there's like interesting builds and people like yeah. um, do some crazy stuff. Uh, and you know, I'm not gonna lie, like, I would not have been able to do this without access to, like, a place to cut wood and mm-hmm. screw it yeah. together and paint. Yeah. Um, if you don't have that, though, there are ready-made arcade kits that you could buy. If you're just like, I don't care about the woodworking, I just want to put my game in a cabinet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Typing Party game, they just got a pre-made cabinet, like, Ikea'd it together <laughs> and put their game in it. Mm. Um, and it looks great. Like, it looks like, a, you know every other cabinet we have (laughs) yeah so i guess now is like as good a time as ever to get into it like it seems pretty accessible yeah especially because the costs of all this stuff have kind of gone down right like aside from the wood and the paint and all that stuff it's a computer and a screen you can get a screen on craigslist for like 10 bucks Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um all the joysticks and buttons you could get on like ebay you know and there's even kits where it's like here's like 12 buttons and two joysticks Mm -hmm. and the there's like usually a little circuit board that has screw terminals so you just wire it all up plug it in with a usb and now it's like oh it's an xbox controller you know oh yeah uh so that stuff's like really easy to uh to come by and there's a lot of resources online for how to program stuff too wow and it's sort of like outside of like the the work that that you've done yourself like where else do do you find like people doing this kind of work like in the city or around? Um, 
you know, I've mentioned baby castles already, and they are like, if anyone asks, like, who kind of was at the forefront of this whole movement, it was them. So, but they're they're a little different. Like, we like to build installations for a game, and then that's what it is. Baby Castles is like, all right, our gallery space is now frog-themed. <laughs> so, like, all frog games, they'll have a game in a fish tank. They have, like, a mud pile with lily pads that you have to traverse. It's like a whole... They're installation artists, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you go to a Baby Castles show, you're often like in an experiential game world. Um, and so that's, I would say that's a little bit different because like at Wonderville, we have different events, but the games are the games, right? And we yeah. we swap them out, but they tend to like stay what they are. Um, there is an organization that Amanda from Sentin Table runs out of Lexington called uh, Run Jump Dev. Um, and they're doing some amazing work. Like they just got like eight crane machines and they are soliciting proposals for what to do with them. Oh, I guess that's a genre that's kind of been pigeonholed into just like getting a teddy bear and like the claw like is like m- made not to work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, like, I would be interested to see what that sort of game could be like when it's not just trying to steal your money. Yeah, when it's not a scam, <laughs> when it's for free. Yeah. It's a whole, I mean, like, all of these old things are starting to get repurposed into new ideas. And it's really exciting because, you know, as this stuff becomes more accessible, people are like, oh, yeah, I can just, my game doesn't have to only exist digitally. It can, like, exist in this space. Yeah. Yeah. There's something cool about that. I think people migrating to consoles only and then like to mobile like i think people are now starting to realize there's a value of like being face to face with a console and being like with another person in the room like experiencing it like for yourselves yeah uh there's a conference in march called gdc in san francisco game developers yeah. conference they have a wing called alt alt dot control right mm-hmm. like the keyboard and they're all games that use alternative interfaces Mm. and so like they just released the submissions for 2020 and there's like a cow udder game where you have like these (laughs) silicone udders and that's how you play milking simulator (laughs) yeah Um, interesting all sorts of really interesting stuff and it's like really inspiring to be like oh to play this i've like hop on a rocking horse and like (laughs) rock as fast as i can you know there's all all weird things that can happen if people wanted to find out more about Wonderville, like where can they find more information? Uh, Wonderville.nyc is the okay. website, and there's a list of all the games. There's a list of all the events. There's a list of what our venue has in case anyone wants to contact us to like perform there. Um, we also like have a Twitch stream and stuff, and like we'll you know we have events where uh, Death by Audio Arcade actually has a co-working day once a month where we all get together and work on stuff. So if anybody wants to get involved. You know, they can email us uh, hello at wonderville.nyc. Okay. Um, and yeah, we'd love to meet people who are in this space who want to do weird arcade stuff. And yeah, if you want to know about starting a bar, man, do I have a lot of <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for being on. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.